tonight is another very special event as every first Wednesday of the month we take the time to celebrate all that our Lord has done for us by partaking in communion together. And we're actually going to be in the text that we're sharing from in Titus chapter 3 this evening. We're going to go back over it again in the study, but there's a few verses that I want to highlight as we partake together. Titus chapter 3. And we're going to begin in verses 3 and 4. For we ourselves were once also foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. But when the kindness and the love of God, our Savior, toward man appeared, Jesus came and showed himself to each and every one of us. It was God himself in the flesh revealing himself to us. And, and we just have to take a moment sometimes to think about who he's revealing himself to. It's spoken of here in the, the scriptures. A foolish people, disobedient people, deceived people, people that are serving lusts and pleasures. They're living in malice and envy. They're hateful and hating one another. This is the people that he loved so much that he came and declared himself to. And in that most beautiful word in the Bible, but, at the beginning of verse 4, but, but God, in all of our sinfulness, in all of our error, in all of our arrogance, in all of our sin, but God intervened and descended and gave himself. And that's what we celebrate when we partake of this bread as a symbol of his body that was given to not righteous people, not people that earned this token from God, not a separate holy people that he loved because they were so good, but that they were so foolish. And that while we were enemies with God, he loved us, the Bible says in the book of Romans. But God. So we're going to wait as our ushers come forth. Wait till we're all served and we'll partake together. Before we partake together, I'd like to focus on one portion of verse 4. But when the kindness and the love of God our Savior toward man appeared. When we celebrate Jesus and giving himself together, we are spending that time to thank him for the gift of himself, and he is the kindness and love of God manifested to each and every one of us. Let's partake together. And Father, we, we thank you so much for your, your gift of life. You breathed life into us, and then you gave up your life. You gave up the ghost, Lord, that we could have eternal life. And we're forever in your debt, in Jesus' name. We continue tonight in verses 5 through 7. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit whom he poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, that having been justified by his grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. 
when we receive this cup together, this fruit of the vine that represents his blood, when Jesus came, he not only paid our debt on the cross for, who, all, for any who would believe, he also made us co-heirs and rulers with him. We could have been the floor mat into the entranceway of heaven. Anything just to not be in eternal damnation. But not only did he take us from the miry clay, not only did he save us from eternal damnation, words themselves that that carry so much weight, that for each and every one of us, he saved us from eternal damnation, not only that, but those that were hateful, envied, malice, backbiters. The list continues. He'll make us rulers and reigners with him in his new eternal and perfect kingdom. His enemies. He redeems us. He washes us. He makes us new. Makes us righteous and holy with his own blood. And then gives us a crown of righteousness in his kingdom before his throne. Allows us the privilege to stand before God the Father in the kingdom and to cry out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. We deserve to be banished for eternity, and yet by the blood of Jesus Christ, because the love of God and His kindness was manifested to each and every one of us, we have the privilege to come before Him in honor and righteousness to cry out before Him. That's what we remember as we take that moment of thanks and receive the cup. Once again, let's wait till we're all served. You know, you, you look at this little cup, you know, it's just a symbol, but you think, if this was the Lord's blood, how much of it are you worth? How much of it to redeem all of mankind? His eternal life-giving presence. We know that it's God who breathed into Adam and gave him life. We know that the Bible says in the book of Leviticus, the life is in the blood. And it's such a foreign concept to us in the 21st century, but the blood of God, 100% man, 100% God, spilt on this earth a man who was perfect and sinless, And deserved nothing. He was completely innocent. He is the very definition of innocence. And yet he spilt it for you. He gave it up for you. It just it's awe inspiring and it's worth every moment of thanks. Let's partake together. Father, there's there's no words that we could utter. There's no deed that we can work. There's no creation that we could create that would be worthy of anything that you've given us, Father. We have nothing to offer you. Our righteousness itself is filthy rags, as your word says. And yet you love us so much. You're so intimately involved in our lives. You have done such mighty and great works in each and every one of us. And and even if you haven't, You've given us eternal security, eternal salvation, eternal rewards, Lord. All for simply obeying and believing your Son. We are eternally grateful, Father.
what a privilege it is to be called a Christian, to be called according to your name, and to be born again into your kingdom. We thank you and we praise you this evening in Jesus' name. Amen. Chapter 3 of Titus. Well, we've had three chapters in Titus. First chapter, we talked about order, order in the church, doing things decently in an order. Last chapter, chapter 2, was a lot about sound doctrine, teaching sound doctrine, uh, mentoring men and women in the faith, families, good family structure, having sound doctrine at home. And now in chapter 3, you're going to see those things emphasized again, but also we're going to talk about good works. And we're also going to talk about some nitty-gritty, which is uh, relationship issues, especially in the church. Let's read verses 1 through 8. We went through a lot of it in our communion time, but we're going to be hitting on some of it. Remind them to be subject to rulers and authorities, to obey, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to be peaceable, gentle, showing all humility to all men. For we ourselves were also once foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. But when the kindness and the love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on, his, on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that having been justified by grace, by his grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Finally, in verse 8, this is a faithful saying, and these things I want to affirm constantly, that those who have believed in God should be careful to maintain good works these things are good and profitable to men. This is a faithful saying, and these things I want to affirm constantly, that those who have believed in God should be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable to all men. It seems like three different subjects, doesn't it? You know, be, do things orderly, don't talk bad about people. He gives us a list of different things. And then he talks about the salvation that comes from God and the work of Jesus Christ, the regeneration of the Holy Spirit. And then all of a sudden he's talking about good works again. Hey, do good things. They seemingly are not connected, but they are all connected. Everything from chapter 1 is being summed up here, chapters 1, 2, and 3, together. How in the world can we live in this system? How in the world could a Christian live under the Soviet Union? How could a Christian learn, uh, live in Iran and be subject to rulers and authorities? How can they do that? You know, there's people right now that are saying that if a certain person's elected, they're going to be disordered. And if another person's elected, they're going to be disobedient. How, how can they get themselves under control? And how can they speak evil of no one? Man, we have instant, you won't have something bad to say. You have an instant audience the second you open up your phone or your PC or your laptop to speak evil of all kinds of people. Christians, speaking evil of rulers and authorities. What does that mean? That means gossip. That means hearsay. That means slander. He says, don't do that. And then he also says, 
that we're to do good works. Now, these, this word good works is really cool because the word good in the Greek can also be translated as beautiful. Beautiful works. What, what is something that's beautiful? It's something that is apparent. It can be seen. It can be heard. It's beautiful to the eye, like, like artwork. Beautiful artwork. A beautiful landscape. A beautiful scene. Our works are to be like that. But in us is no good thing, right? Our hearts are deceitfully wicked. We can't make anything good happen. How is this all done? By the regeneration of our lives and the Holy Spirit. By the equipping and the empowering of Jesus Christ in our lives as he forms us into something new. That's how it happens. You know, there has been a real psychologizing of the faith. And so when somebody says something bad about somebody else, or they uh, get their feelings hurt, or um, maybe they heard something that somebody said, but they're not really sure, they come up to the pastor, and they call me, they text me, they, they talk to me, and they want me to go and get that person and sit down and hash it all out. And what they want to do because this is what they insinuate, is that if we sit here and we talk together and we bring up all our old feelings and how we feel about each other and all the bad things that have happened with us, that once we get all these things out, that suddenly everything's going to magically go away just because we talked about it. The opposite is exactly what happens. They start to find out things that they didn't, you didn't know that they knew that you said. Things get worse. You pretend like you're fine, like you're grown-ups, but really, you're more mad and more frustrated and more confused than you've ever been. But Jesus does something completely different. Let's look at an example from Scripture in John chapter 21. Jesus is resurrected. In John chapter 21, verse 23, Jesus has John and Peter in front of him. Then this saying went out among the brethren that this disciple would not die. Jesus is pointing, he's practically pointing at John. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he would not die. But if I will that he remain till I come, what is that to you? What had happened? What had happened is Peter had just been reconciled. He had just been brought back into the fold from betraying the Lord. Jesus tells him, do you love me, Peter? Yes, Lord. Do you love me? Yes. Do you really love me? I love you. Follow me. Feed my sheep. And then he says, follow me. Then Jesus tells him, he prophesies to him, you're going to die a death like mine. You're going to suffer for the faith. And Peter says, all right, Lord, I'm ready. No, he says, what about him? What about him, Lord? What about, what, what, what's going on with him? What about his walk? What's he doing? What are you saying to him? How come I'm not, I'm, I'm not getting the special treatment like he's getting? He knew that John was not going to die. He was going to live a long life. But it says here, Jesus never said it. But it was insinuated, and Jesus' response to him was, let's sit down and talk about this, and we can talk about your two roles together, and we'll talk about our history. Jesus says, that's none of your business. Your business is my business, and my business is your business. What My work that I'm doing in you is what's important. When you have marriage counseling, it's the same thing. The husband or the wife, they want to get together and they want to go over everything the bad that's ever happened to them in their marriage and how it's all the other person's fault. And then somehow, I'm supposed to be this psychologist, which is quackery in and of itself, 
And then I'm supposed to get into what really happened to them as a child, and we're supposed to go and hash that out and how it's affecting their relationship and, and how they're not being treated well and how they need to be individuals treating each other better and looking out for the other person. And it's just psychology quackery. What really needs to be happening is that old man, that old relationship, that old marriage, that old friendship needs to be put on the cross. And a new creation needs to come out of that, completely dedicated to Christ, to be regenerated and washed clean by His Holy Spirit. Am I saying that we don't get together in counsel? I love godly counsel. I love it. And it's always done from this book. Whenever I'm counseling with any person, I may use a story or two from my life, but it's always going to come from this book. It's always going to be about Jesus. It's always going to be his word that cleanses us and sanctifies us. Because if they did that psychologizing garbage with me and my walk with me, we'd be divorced. But what was constantly being reiterated to me as a man, as a new man from a broken home who'd never seen, apart from one, a, a marriage that worked is that the mercies of God are new every day and that he is doing a new work in each and every one of us and that which the canker worm has eaten, he can restore. It is done through Jesus. It is not done through each and every one of us. It's not done through our works. It's not done through workshops on how to be a better wife and how to be a better husband and five points on better communication in your marriage. You need one step closer to Jesus Christ is worth a thousand seminars because you will be a new person. You won't be trying to fix up the rickety old car. You'll have a brand new car. You won't be trying to Remodel the old house, ladies, you'll get a new mansion. You won't fix the old husband, you'll have a brand new husband, and so on and so forth. But it's done through Jesus, it's not done through us. And that's when our works are beautiful, when it's His works. We've seen that song on Wednesdays quite a few times, the potter's hands, molding the clay, molding us. We sing it, but do we mean it? Do we live it? Are those works beautiful? Are they evident? in each and every one of us. A lot of us need a little bit of tough love, myself included sometimes. And Jesus says, what is that to you? Comparing yourself to somebody else, another ministry, whatever, what is that to you? He's doing an amazing work. Verses 9 and 11. But avoid foolish disputes, genealogies, contentions, strivings about the law, for they are unprofitable and useless. Reject a divisive man after the first and second admonition, knowing that such a person is warped and sinning, being self-condemned. Well, this just sounds like a, a great church time, doesn't it? You know, he's talking about the church, the family of God. He's saying, in the church, avoid Foolish disputes, genealogies, contentions, strivings about the law. Uh, you know, should we have Christmas Eve service? Should we have Christmas Day service? Should we have both? Should we have, does the Bible say that we should have uh, candles at the Christmas Eve service or not? Is it biblical to even have Christmas? Can we have a Christmas tree? And so on and so forth. And 
for going out the letter of the law and letter of the spirit of the law. Just disputing and actually having fellowships and families and relationships split over such foolish things, such small things. Don't do it. If you find yourself in an argument with a, with a person, a Christian person, and you've told them, hey, twice, listen, brother, I'm not mid-trib. And if you don't stop talking about it all the time, I can't talk to you anymore. You know, say you're mid-trib. Awesome. I'm going to teach a pre-tribulational viewpoint here, and I'll share your viewpoint here. You're not going to change my mind. I want you to stay in this fellowship. I want you to grow here. I want you to eventually get on the right track with me, but it's okay. You can be wrong if you want. No, I'm just, we can have a great fellowship together and disagree. We disagree agreeably on non-essential items. What is a non-essential item? Items that are not essential to salvation of a believer. And as long as we can continue to be unified on essential objects, we will have a great friendship. And I do have good Calvinist friends and good pre-trib friends. And I have good ignorant friends that don't even have a position on any of them. And I'm just like, grow up. But it's the person that will not get off the one track no matter what. Hey, just disassociate yourself from a time. It's okay. It's okay. In Matthew chapter 7, Jesus talks about false teachers. This is what he says. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. If that's not tough enough, he continues. You will know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. There used to be an old pamphlet out in the Calvary Chapel movement that came out right at the time that the emergent church real, really got big. Another church thing that got popular and then it's kind of died off. It'll come back again in a couple of years. And they were questioning the validity of the scriptures, the, the virgin birth, everything. I bring that up to bring up the title of this pamphlet was awesome. It was called, From Which Well Are You Drinking? And it was a well with a bucket with poison marked on the well. A good tree has good fruit. good tree has good roots. I recommend memorizing Psalm 1. Planted by rivers of water whose, whose leaf shall not wither. And that, that's to be us. Firmly engrafted in the word of God. In the washing, the regeneration of the Holy Spirit. Worshiping him in spirit and in truth. The proper and true well. But if you're drinking from the well of society of psychologizing, of humanizing the scriptures from a humanistic standpoint, meaning a man-centered standpoint instead of a God-centered standpoint, then you're drinking from a poisoned well and you'll become a false prophet. We are to have beautiful works, good works. Our life should be evident 
just as a tree is evident when it's in bloom, when it's been well watered in, in, in the sun. And if you've noticed, my hand's up sometimes, hopefully not for very long, things get rocky at home, in your marriage, your relationship with your kids. None of those problems were ever solved by praying less, reading less, or fellowshipping less. That's like saying that we're going to fix this tree, this withered tree, by watering it less, not giving it fertilizer, and keeping it out of the sun. There are many, many problems. And what, what is the, some of the symptoms of that is I'm going to go to church less. I don't want to be around Christians. I'm going to neglect my Bible for a while. I haven't, I haven't prayed in a few days. Many of our issues, many of them, I would say all, but for just so no one can find one, maybe the one I'm forgetting, they can be solved by simply growing closer with the Lord, focusing on Him, praying more, reading more, fellowshipping with His people more, and watch how your relationships change. Watch how your eyesight changes from what everyone else is doing and what everyone else is saying and what your spouse is doing and what your spouse is saying. And comparing your kids to the other kids or your schoolwork to the other schoolwork or your paycheck to the other people's paycheck and your eyes slowly get shifted onto our Lord Jesus Christ, His great works, His heart for you, the regeneration of His Holy Spirit and His word and His promises for you and watch how all of those problems just float away. They're gone. They're gone. Sometimes when we're trying to rehash those problems, it's like weeding our garden, getting all the weeds in the bucket, and deciding to replant the soil with weeds. You're just going back out there and you're sowing those weeds. That's what psychology is. Instead of plucking it and getting it out of there and putting in good fruit, good, excuse me, good fertilizer, good water, and plenty of sunlight. Let's finish off the chapter here, verses 12 through 15, the closing Sign off. When I send Artemis to you or Tychus, be diligent to come to me at Nicopolis, for I have decided to spend the winter there. Send Zenos, the lawyer, and Apollos on their journey with haste, that they may, lack, they may lack nothing. I wish it wasn't in there, but yes, lawyers can be useful. Verse 14, And let our people also learn to maintain good works, to meet urgent needs, that they may not be unfruitful. All who are with me greet you. Greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. Amen. What's, what's Paul talking about here? What's the context? Well, Paul's giving this letter to Titus in Crete. Now, he wants to send Artemis or Tychius to replace him to um, sub for Titus so that Titus can come and see Paul personally. That's how important that relationship is. They want to go visit. You know, when I, when I do take my trips back to California to see my pastor, it's just because I love him and I love being around him. It's not an escape from you guys. I don't want to leave here. And then when I, he comes over here and he visits. He only visits for a short time. You know why? Because as much as he loves me and likes vacationing in South Carolina, he wants to go back home to those that he loves. Ministry is constant heartbreak. It is just constant falling in love with people that you cannot be around all the time. It just, it hurts. And I can't express, if you feel called to be in ministry and you are being, and you're being raised up in ministry, you are in for a lot of heartache. 
you're in for a lot of sleepless nights, for a lot of uh, uncried tears, because I just don't do that. You're in for a lot of goodbye hugs. You're in for a lot of people that care really deeply for you, that you they move on or they go or they have another call or the Lord separates you from them, and you're just like devastated, and it's all par for the course. But we will be reunited. Not much time after this, uh, Paul will be arrested again. He'll write at Second Timothy, and he'll be on his way, as I believe, right before Nero. Nero will reject the faith, and Paul will be beheaded. And just as we taught on Sunday, he doesn't lose. In the moment, in the twinkling of an eye, he was in the presence of his master, enjoying every eternal gift that has been bestowed upon him, every righteous crown, every reward. And he and I and all of us that serve our Lord Jesus, even though it may seem like we fail, we will all cast our crowns together at the Lord Jesus' feet for the work that he is doing. We trust it on eternal matters. We trust it in ministry matters. Do you trust it in your personal matters? Do you trust it in your relationships? Do you trust it in your workplaces? That Jesus is going to do this work, and as long as you stay out of the way, you won't mess it up. That's for each and every one of us. We're going to spend the last few minutes of this hour praying together, interceding for one another. It's been really quiet the last few weeks, so I just want to encourage you. Yes, if you don't feel called, pray silently, please. And we can wait and listen, wait on the Lord. But I highly encourage you, the Bible says you have not because you ask not, you seek the Father's will, you shall receive the Father's will. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you so much. We pray, Lord Jesus, that you would continue to guide and direct us, that we would be growing in the grace and the knowledge of you. And we thank you that every good and perfect gift comes from you, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.